So this is Freightonomics. <laughs> I'm Anthony Smith, lead economist here at Freight Freightwaves. I'm sitting alongside Zach Strickland, the one and only. He is the Sultan of Sonar, <laughs> the Freight Market Intelligence, Director of Freight Market Intelligence. And this is Freightonomics, where we combine the world of freight and economics together. You might think on the surface, what does freight and economics have to do or what they have in common? And the answer is everything. Everything is economics and everything moves by freight. And so this show only makes sense. And so thank you so much for joining us. If you're not already watching, which you should be watching on tv.freightwaves.com because it's an awesome app of stuff there. All the good Freightwaves TV material is there. If you want to watch anything and everything within our ecosystem, it's there. But if you're watching on LinkedIn for any reason, I'll be watching there as well. And if you have any comments or anything like that, feel free to chime in because it's going to be quite the conversation today. Yeah, we got a big show today and hopefully you can hear me. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the freight market itself, uh, you know, we're in this weird tumultuous, we've got the COVID Delta variant coming up. We've got peak season of freight coming up. We've got, you know, it's August. So we're in this transition period in terms of transitioning out of the summer into the, the fall season. Uh, a lot going on, and we're at an intersection where a lot of things can move any direction. I, you know, I personally have been watching, obviously, if you guys have watched uh, Freight Waves Now, as in the morning, uh, we talked about tender rejection rates coming up over the last several weeks uh, in August. And it's not typical to see uh, capacity tighten early August into late August all throughout the month. And that's sort of what we've seen for the first two weeks. And now it's taken a little bit of a dip. If we go ahead and pull up the chart of tender rejections, tender volumes, and another special index, uh, you know, OTVIO try. So I wanted to kind of lead off with this to kind of set the table. This is where we are in terms of the freight market itself. We've got outbound tender volumes. They're in the blue on the left. We've got tender rejection rates in the green on the left. And you can see tender volumes continue to rise. That's our demand side indicator. Uh, that's where we're saying that shippers are requesting more and more capacity. Tender rejection rates were increasing until a few days ago, uh, and then they started to come back down. Uh, nor, this little divergence is not that typical, uh, although we see kind of these, you know, many corrections happening uh, all the time. Now, on the right side, this is the one that has the most significant impact to me. <laughs> this is our uh, IOTI, the Inbound Ocean TEUs Volume Index. That little dotted line is the amount of bookings that shippers have been, uh, you know, making for the uh, uh, TEUs leaving their ports of origin over the next seven days. And that is a huge spike, bringing us all the way back up to where we were in May. Um, basically tells me, you know, demand has not gone anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, tender rejection rates, Starting to climb. I think this is a temporary notch where we see that little decline. We've got Labor Day coming up here in a few weeks. Tons of demand on coming. Tons of demand, Anthony Smith. So, and Zach, <laughs> for people that are like on the spectrum of the supply chain, maybe they're, they're looking at freight waves um, just got pushed to them just now. They're watching on LinkedIn, what have you. Ocean TEUs. Yes. What does that tell you? So that's an index, basically how many TEUs, it's an index of the number of TEUs that are being ordered or, you know, for shipping uh, from their points of origin, which the gross majority occurs from China to the North America. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, essentially telling me that we have not even 
tip, like we haven't even seen <laughs> the tip of the iceberg about demand side, uh, about what's potentially about to happen. And that is a 30 to 40 day leader on, uh, you know, domestic freight volumes. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the catch, Anthony. What's the catch? We've already had all this huge demand. Like we've had this tremendous amount of demand, like ports are already you know, bogged down, they can't get enough freight. The railroad shut down, uh, you know, lanes coming across the country. Obviously, trucking capacity, not a lot of room there. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if we're going to see some sort of like total reversal once this freight hits that all of a sudden we're going to see this just, it just, it's not, we talked about OTVI in the past, bumps up against a 16,000 value ceiling, and it just doesn't get further because the infrastructure just isn't there to order enough capacity. And so the other big thing that I've always been hearing about what's going on with ocean stuff, TEUs, containers, container mm -hmm. shortages. Once containers are made, is it just that simple? Like, oh yeah, yeah. It's just make more containers. It's They have to be in the right position, the right place. Is that right? Yeah, they do. They have to be in China. <laughs> and, <laughs> and a lot of times they are, you know, the container shortage is brought on by the gross imbalance of container flow coming from China or Asia to North America or Europe. Yeah. Uh, and they get stuck over there. You've probably been driving down a road somewhere and seen a container just sitting there. Uh, and it's a new storage facility for somebody or something because it's very difficult. Once it leaves the rail, uh, very difficult to get those empty containers back to where they need to be because uh, typically they stay around. They try to keep them around the ports so they can move them back. I mean, the uh, the ocean liners own the international containers. Yeah. Those are the ones that come across. They're 20 and 40 foot. Um, and... They don't like for them to go further inland, <laughs> uh, but they do. They'll go all the way to Chicago, but they try to keep them at least around the rail or, or something like that so they can dray them back. Once they get on a truck, it's any it, it's a it's the wild, wild west. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So jumping into that, I know that was a hot open right there, but one of the things we have to do is, of course, thank our sponsors, Envision Global. So we have a sponsor here at Freight Onomics, and it's going to be Envision Global. And so Envision Global is the a leading global freight audit supply chain management services company offering enterprise-wide supply chain solutions with which with over 4000 global business partners envision global not only provides prompt accurate freight audit solutions but also providing industry leading supply chain information management solutions and services to help its clients maximize efficiencies within their supply chain to learn more visit www.envisionglobal.com. Of course, we have the website up here right now, but if you haven't checked them out, definitely give them a look. Thank you so much, Envision, for sponsoring the show. But yeah, let's get back into it, Zach. Yeah, so, I mean, I set the table there. This is where we are. <laughs> yeah. You know, the overall freight market, freight economy, we've got all this demand there. we got more demand coming. Uh, capacity's tight. It was easing throughout the summer a little bit, at least on the contracted side. A lot of that, we talked about it a few weeks ago, short-haul demand grew, shippers... <clears throat> excuse me, pushing freight into warehouses, warehouses filling up, et cetera. But now you see even on the IOTI, things have changed. They've reversed. And now we've got the COVID Delta variant, mm -hmm. which has been growing significantly. So before we get into the deeper discussion, we got Wes Struving on here in a little bit. Um, let's do some memes. Let's get the <laughs> table set with memes. Let's, let's lighten things up. We had a hot open. Let's get some memes going. There's going to be a rapid fire of memes, by the way, because they're all basically the same thing and they're all revolving around the same thing. Mm -hmm. COVID Delta variant. This is a string of memes came out a few weeks ago, really. Um, 
And some of my favorite memes have come out of this, even though it's a very sad and awful topic, uh, talking about a resurgence of the pandemic. Um, but anyway, the first meme I've got for you, we got Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. My Fall Plans, Bill Murray. For those of you that haven't seen this movie, you absolutely... Have you seen it? No. Good grief. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't even... I, New host. <laughs> uh, Bill Murray starting his Groundhog Day forecast. And then the 6 a.m., of course, a reference to the movie that the day just keeps repeating itself. The Delta variant, of course, uh, seems like it's a return to, you know, pandemic era style, you know, lifestyles. Mm -hmm. You know, remote life, which a lot of people haven't transitioned fully back or anything like that. Are we going to go back? That's the big question. What are we going to do now? Is, are things going to go back to the way they were? And the early parts of the other pandemic. Um, huge question. Uh, next meme. Uh, this, this one has to do, uh, all right, we're going to do Bernie. Bernie, the Bernie meme. Uh, I am once again asking for COVID to stop mutating. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, you know, and, and this, this speaks to the fact that, okay, so we've got a Delta variant. What about the Alpha, Beta, Delta? I mean, uh, yeah, Alpha, Beta, uh, Delta, what is it, Epsilon next? Gamma? Gamma, Delta? I don't know. One <laughs> Delta Plus, I think, is what's uh, the next one that they've talked about. What happens if this thing just keeps mutating? Yeah. You know, we got vaccines, but are we going to have to keep reliving this, this pattern over and over and over again as this thing, you know, really gets going? I mean, I, I guess there's a debate about people getting vaccinated and that's slowing it down, but who knows? Well, real quick, because we have some people on LinkedIn. I'm going to pose a question. So you guys all all seen the title, of course, Another Shutdown. I want to know your thoughts on Another Shutdown. That's going to be the topic, of course, of the show. But be sure to have your voice uh, aired out as well on LinkedIn. Make a comment. Do you think Another Shutdown is viable? Do you think it's feasible? Do you think people even comply? Do you think it's something that's even on the topic or on table for uh, discussion right now? So we're looking at it. We're seeing rates, of course, go up and up and up. We've seen this before, like you just had with Groundhog's Day, reliving <laughs> things that we've already seen before. So really, I want to know, we want to hear from you, of course, what are your thoughts on it as we kind of dive into some of our top stories of the day? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've got two more memes, two more memes, <laughs> rapid fire. We got to get, uh, let's get Michael Jordan in here. Uh, more and more Americans are getting vaccinated. The Delta variant. And I took that personally. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, and this came out throughout the during the pandemic. Yeah. This is the pandemic era. That's why I put it in there. That was a fantastic series. ESPN didn't see it. Oh God, of course not. And then the last meme. Uh, you know, poor Delta Airlines. <laughs> of course, I don't think it's as severe. Uh, but you know, you've got the scene with uh, I forget his name off the top of my head. He's, he's Corona. He's looking at Delta Airlines and he's saying, and the guy, Delta's crying and he's looking at him with a noose around his neck going, huh, first time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think Delta's... going to be next with the, the variant name? I don't know, but Corona actually benefited from it. Yeah. They got, they, I think their sales went up. Delta has already obviously had trouble because of airlines being shut down. Uh you know, I think they were picking back up, but yeah, I don't, I don't think this is really going to have an impact to their bottom line. <laughs> like maybe Corona did. No. Sure. Yeah. I mean, whatever you do, just make it into a viral trend, TikTok trend, something like that. Good or bad. You're good or bad. You're going to get away from it somehow, some way. <laughs> but yeah, we have our first story for, what is it? Is it Newsonomics? Newsonomics. Let's get into today's top story. So this one kind of, 
I've been talking about this for years. This one is comical to me. Uh, why it's political, I'm not sure, though. Um, so this was, uh, you know, OIDA urges Biden administration to bus driver shortage myth. Now, they're not talking about the fact that the current driver shortage, <laughs> this is more of that ongoing uh, narrative that the trucking industry has talked about a driver shortage. You know, every year, driver shortage, driver shortage, driver shortage. I think even in the soft years, they talk about a driver shortage. And they're absolutely right. They talk, they go on to say, it's not a driver shortage, it's driver turnover that's the problem. And in some of these large carriers, you, you have like near 100% turnover. Yeah. And here's the here's the thing, like that's, that's normal. <laughs> like that's, I, I don't know if we're ever gonna get around turnover as, as it stands. Um, and I, I think, their purpose here is really just to kind of shift focus away from making, uh, you know, laws that, you know, make it easier for larger carriers <laughs> versus short, smaller carriers, because that's what OIDA is, is this uh, owner operator, independent owner operator association. And whereas I think his premise is exactly right. It's not a driver shortage, it's a driver turnover. I'm not so sure about what to do about it, politically speaking. <laughs> like, it's just the nature of being at a big company. You, you know, you start out at a big company, you kind of work your way into a smaller company. It's almost accelerated in transportation because the nature of being a driver, especially an over-the-road driver, yeah. you have to build up your money so you can go buy your truck so you can become an owner-operator. And that's just what you transition into. Yeah. You don't, you know, like if you're just in a business, like in the back office, you're trying to work your way up the ladder right. for a driver nowhere to go. I'm going to drive more. I'm going to get better lanes, maybe, uh, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't always work out that way. There's no real significant like step up hierarchy there. So one of the things I heard about a driver shortage, of course, the myth around it or the talking point around it, like if there was a true driver shortage, there won't, there wouldn't be stuff on the shelves. Right. So is there something to that? Like if there's a true driver shortage, all these essential goods wouldn't happen right now. They wouldn't be here. So like you said, driver retention is a thing. Being yep. able to retain drivers, keep them on. But at the same time, you kind of need that, right? So yeah. when you look at drivers, they always get the short end of the stick. They're mm -hmm. always the last to know about something. Yep. And it's just like they need that mobility to at least really assess, assess their options and kind of move throughout the, the, the industries of sorts. Because it's like, all right, this company, you know, did me wrong. And now right. I'm back on the market. Put on, switch on, and put on a different <laughs> hat. Here I am with this new carrier. All right, I don't like how this carrier is operating. Switch my hat, go on to a new carrier. And yeah. it just seems to be a carousel of sorts. Yeah, and they, they end up, eventually they end up in a smaller fleet or, mm -hmm. you know, owning their own truck. And that's, you know, that's just kind of the natural progression as I viewed it uh, yeah. personally. Now, his, his, you know, his suggestion was federal regulators should focus on increasing trucking parking capacity. Um, yeah, but that, and also improving driver training programs and, and eliminating excessive detention time. Now, none of these things are, I mean, the parking situation, yes, but that also is kind of good for all trucking. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely a problem uh, in the past, but, you know, truck parking doesn't get boats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not like a community-wide problem, and that's why it doesn't get the attention. So, I, I, he's, he's, they're absolutely right in their stance. I'm just not sure if it is a political, you know, lobbying stance in general.
And from what I've seen, a lot of times when government steps in into this industry, they're not of this industry. So they're yeah. going to make regulations and policies that's going to shift it in a way it doesn't need to be shifted right. to. And so that's definitely a big one here. Also, like I said, I'm going to be reading your comments in between these topics because we do have a special guest coming on here shortly. We have Matt Verbin. He is the chief financial officer of Connected Vehicle Optimization. And so I post a question, thoughts on another shutdown? Is it feasible here on LinkedIn? And Matt Bourbon says, if a new mutated iteration makes the vaccine completely ineffective, he could see it. So that's going to be something. That, I mean, that's a talking point there. It's like, yeah. if the vaccine is now completely ineffective, do we go to a full shutdown? But they've shown that it's not. It's not. It's not. It is It is effective vaccine. It is effective to for, for the Delta. Yes. But if like some Omega Gamma. Variant. Yeah, there could be another one coming. <laughs> that's the point of that, you know, yeah. mutating meme. Uh we, this isn't the end of it. This is like the flu. It mutates all the time. The vaccine is not effective every year. Yeah. Um, could that happen with COVID? I mean, I mean, that's 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 a big talking point here. And I know we have a few other news items, but I think we have Wes ready, and we can kind of get into some of these other news items as well. But in talking to it, I mean, looking at what's happening with this new variant, if there is a whole nother shutdown. Are yeah. people even going to comply? And that's one of the things that we we're talking about with Wes earlier Let's on bring Wes today. On. Let's do so, it. Wes, thank you so much for <laughs> joining us. Of course, founder and president at Logistics Titans. Thank you so much for being here. Gentlemen, it's great to see you both again. Yes. I feel out of place. I feel like I need my own blue, <laughs> awesome... If we had one, we'd send it to you. Let's get him a blue. We're going to get him a pullover? Yeah. Let's get him a pullover. All right, Wes, we're going to get your address. We're going to get you a pullover. I wind myself in the swag. That's fantastic. It works like that here. Thank you. I mean, it's the least we could do for having you on today. I mean, we're talking about the possibilities of another shutdown. We have a comment here on LinkedIn talking about if a new mutated iteration makes the vaccine completely ineffective, he could see it. Do you think, we were talking about it before, do you think people would even comply? Do you think, you know, the shock to the supply chain, we can talk about that a little bit later, but do you think the American people would even like go along with something like this? Well, I personally don't think so. You look at what's happening even today in states. States are dissenting from, from national opinion and they're kind of doing their own thing. In fact, you see communities differ from what states are doing. There's a lot of dissension in the ranks. And I think to assume that everyone is going to be compliant and the whole other shutdown is a bad idea. Yeah, I, I mean, I, people are tired of it. Yeah, I, I I think that's pretty clear. And I also think that you know once you've kind of gone down that path, like there's this psychology about like you know oh, I've already done that. I'm not. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> you know, kind of been there, done that. But I want to throw up a quick chart, and hopefully you can see it, Wes, about the uh, the map of the COVID cases in the United States. Uh, just to show like cases uh, relative to where they have been. And the red line, the red bar chart over there, uh, this is Johns Hopkins University, uh, you know, website. And they've been tracking this since the beginning, I believe. Uh, but that little red shoot up there. Now, if you could go all the way back and trace it back, it's essentially where it was uh, around the 15th of November. Uh, so we're right where we were when we were shutting down like last year for winter. Like this is when everybody kind of started hibernating. Do you think that this is a, uh, you know, what do you think is going to happen if these cases continue to increase like this? Do you think there's going to be something? Uh, 
Well, to try and predict public policy is pretty <laughs> difficult, but I, I've seen, yeah, but I've been places where, for instance, in Dallas last week, Dallas County um, has a mask mandate back. So if you're indoors, you're required to wear a mask again. I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, yeah. To say you prematurely could throw away all your masks was a real mistake. They're, they're going to come back. I think you're going to see masks be widely required in addition to having your, your COVID vaccination and proof of that COVID vaccination widely required. And so one of the things that I think on an individual level you see is that people are already kind of like, oh, let me just get my kit ready, my COVID kit. <laughs> I have my mask. I have my webcam. I have my microphone. I can work remotely. I have a standing desk. I have all these things in place and the kids are kind of already used to it. The thing that's not quite used to it, of course, the supply chain, because we can all kind of adapt. People have gone through this cycle already. Maybe there will be some um, friction with people that can't work remotely, things like that. But in terms of the supply chain, do you think that even if we do or don't have another full on shutdown, what are some of the implications you think that you see on your side of more cases just kind of ramping up? Well, on the, on the more where we really get hit hard and we're getting hit hard again is in warehouses and fleet operations because these people get COVID. And, you know, all these delays we've seen, and I think if you've ordered anything or have anything delivered, you're seeing delays left and right now. And by the way, to go back to your other conversation, you know, the driver shortage is 100% real. It is not a myth. It is not anything ridiculous. You know, we have in some of the fleets that we work with, they are actively and aggressing, seeking drivers for seats because fleet sizes are substantially down. It's not a it's not a rumor. No, no, no. You're, you're exactly right about that, especially right now. But in the context of the article, they were talking about more of the ongoing narrative of the driver shortage. Like in 2019, was there a driver shortage? And that was uh, that's the context of that article. Now, right now, I don't I don't think you can make the comment about there being uh, anything but a shortage of just about anyone, anywhere, um, and anything, if, if you can go out and track that. But yeah, certainly the driver shortage thing is legitimate right now in the context of today. And I think, but I think it has always been legitimate. I think if you look back, they were really warning of a forthcoming driver shortage. It's now we're right in the middle of. Oh yeah. In terms of the aging driver population, there's definitely a driver shortage in the way of the over the road, driver, uh, when you're talking about somebody that wants to get out on the road and spend all that time away from their families, uh, that demographic has definitely shrunk uh, over time. And, you know, kind of like I said, I'm not really sure the purpose of the, uh, of the stance there politically, but um, in terms of the overall, uh, you know, driver shortage, making things easier for drivers, I think it's something that everybody, you know, involved in the industry probably uh, needs to keep in mind that, you know, every driver out there is kind of a super valuable asset um, at this point specifically. Um, but kind of trend. But we do need to fix the, the problems you guys were talking about. You need to fix the parking problem because it's virtually impossible for drivers to find a safe and adequate place to park. That's also not expensive and prohibitive, but also operationally making improvements and fixing things like detention, you know, better planning and better forecasting. These are all not just things that help drivers. It helps the entire supply chain. will drive costs down in the supply chain. So on that, on that point of detention, what are, what are some of the things that you'd like to see or do or who would change these 
uh, things that would help driver like, you know, reduce detention because that's, that's kind of like a no brainer to me. Like if, you know, but they end up getting stuck at these places for long periods of time when they should be driving. Right. Yep. No, no. And several of our customers are part of the problem and, and we work hard to be part of the solution, but it all boils down simply to better planning in a warehouse and better pick plans and better ability to load trucks and better dock management. And if you don't have those things in place, you're going to have a problem. But again, we'll go back to this Delta Delta variant can wipe out a warehouse. And if you wipe out a warehouse and with little or no warning, you're going to have delays and and as a result, detention. In some cases, even detention is one of layover. True. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big point with warehousing. So when we have Zach Rogers on here, one of the big things as he's talking about with the LMI is that warehouse capacity, warehouse utilization, warehouse prices going at record high, record high right now. So looking at that, that's a big point right there, talking about what's going on with warehousing and how it's not just drivers, but those warehouse workers right. that really can also be impacted by COVID, that can those cases can run rampant, shut that entire place down, and we're already at a capacity crunch. And so that kind of exacerbates what we're seeing right now. So right. Looking at that, um, those other issues, parking, um, infrastructure, things like that, it's been, it's, it seems like there is just so much going on. Wes, do you see a hierarchy or maybe a, uh, I guess, a priority list of things that really need to or is going to be the most impactful in alleviating some of the things in the supply chain? Because right now, it's like things are just kind of being attacked on all fronts. We think the most alleviation will be come from warehouse utilization or uh, availability, or maybe even more drivers sitting in the market? Well, the problem is every time you warehouse something, you you add money to your supply chain, right? The longer you sit on an asset or store an asset, the more it costs you. It's almost like having an ice cube and it's melting <laughs> as, you're, as you're holding it. So I'm not sure warehousing is the most efficient ultimate solution to a supply chain, um, but it may, be, it's, it may be a necessary evil, I think. You know, from my perspective, the eventual rollout of blockchain and the transparency created by blockchain may be the thing that really starts to fix this. And if you want to even look further down the path, um, autonomous trucking, I think, will also start to help and fix this as well, although that won't solve a, a, lot, a final mile problem. Right, for sure. So what are the things that you're seeing right now um, in, in the market? Like, have you seen any kind of relief points anywhere uh, across the space or is, are things still just kind of as out of control as they were uh, to start the summer? I think they're just as out of control now as they were to start the summer. But I, I think what's going to be, you know, last time we were together, we talked about the theory of the, the pendulum swinging back and forth, favoring carriers or, or favoring right. shippers. And I think what's interesting is that the point on the top of the pendulum has now moved over. The <laughs> price has now changed. And I'll give you an example. You know, a gentleman that works for me in Atlanta, he went out and about oh eight months ago, they put a contract on a home. And they were building that home and paid for that home. The package price was kind of a package deal. Well, if you recall, the price of lumber then skyrocketed shortly thereafter. And they raised the price of those homes by over $100,000 for, for one of those units. And, of course, we know now that the wood is retracted back. Some of those costs have retracted back. And he went in and said, so, 
Have you guys adjusted your pricing to match current supply chain costs? They said, absolutely not. We've set a new benchmark. Why are we going to sell it for less? And I think that may be one of the interesting things that no one's really talking about is, you know, some of these trucking companies are getting used to these returns. Drivers are going to be, are, are being paid more, and that's not going to slow down anytime soon. So I, I don't think if you're expecting them to, to snap back to 2018 rates, I think that's going to be a, a false expectation of what's going to happen in the market in the forthcoming year or anytime soon. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, the longer this, you know, we stay in this situation, I think obviously the longer that it will <laughs> persist, um, you know, everything has a cycle, but this cycle feels exceptionally long. Um, and I, I, I do agree with you in terms of absolutely not. Are we going back to 2018, 2019 style rates uh, anytime soon? Uh, inflation, Anthony Smith, yeah. <laughs> definitely having an impact throughout all of that. So, you know, you're, you're talking about pricing. Uh, what about like pricing? Like we have contract rates and we have spot rates and we kind of talk about them in separate areas. Uh, contract is kind of like more reliable, but have the lines blurred here? In terms of the contract and spot market, in terms of what's a, a true like steady rate and what's really you know the ad hoc or transactional rate. Well, you've seen you know, so the largest freight brokerage uh, on the planet is Sage Robinson, and you've seen Sage Robin come out come out and publicly say that they've transitioned most of their contract pricing to more of a market based pricing approach, so based on what current market rates are. And we've had to do some of the same things with our customers. Now, we also have some contract customers, but we have to be very, very careful the way we price that business. And, and frankly, you're forced to somewhat contingency price it because you don't know, you know, it, it's a gamble right. for us. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And, and we think we have an educated gamble because we have lots of really good tools. Like, I don't want to give you guys a shame shameful plug that I will give you a shameful plug. <laughs> you know, sonar, sonar and tools like Sonar Health. Imagine that. <laughs> You're getting that blue pullover. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are getting that blue pullover. So Wes, one of the things that we're seeing, of course, with everything happening, all these ramp ups, all these changes, the pendulum swinging. Is there anything that you're seeing that is maybe being a potential overcorrection for whenever we do see some slight easing within the supply chain. Do you see that, okay, maybe we're bringing on, there's there's so many 3PLs popping up, or maybe, uh, of course, there's not too many drivers entering the market, but or is there anything that you're seeing that's like, all right, this is going to be an issue once things kind of start to slow down or kind of ease a little bit? Well, I, I certainly think that if you look at the way this supply chain and these economics have evolved, they certainly favor the 3PL over the traditional carrier because traditional carriers, because of driver shortages and other reasons, are really facing some capacity constraints they never had before. And so shippers are having a hard time relying on a sole or a few carriers as entities to support their entire supply chain. So one of the reasons why you see the proliferation is that 3PL is because they need alternative choices and alternative solutions. So that's a gap that we've we've tried to help fill. So I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. In fact, as this as capacity continues to be constrained, you're going to look for additional ways to make this work. Uh, outside of that, you know, 
I, I don't know if there is a, a holy grail. I don't know if there is a an ultimate answer. The one thing I would caution some of our shipper customers against is don't be so hasty to think that you've got a bad deal in the current environment because taking that out to bid right now could be completely dangerous simply because we have to price things, like I said before, with, from a risk management approach. And that may end up costing you more money down the road as opposed to looking what market pricing may look like. Yeah, uh, that's a fantastic point. And then, uh, of course, kind of lost in all of this is not just the, the cost of moving freight, but the service. Uh, you know, a lot of these shippers, uh, they need to have a reliable service as much as they need to have reliable capacity. So they need to know that their freight is going to be able be picked up because, uh, like we were talking about, warehousing capacity is at a premium right now. And the space is becoming more and more limited. And it takes a long time to throw up a warehouse and add additional capacity in that space. So are you seeing uh, a lot more you know, any easing on that front in terms of like, is service improving at all? Or is it just as, you know, as much of a mess as the capacity uh, sourcing is? No, I think that's, that may be worse, frankly, <laughs> Zach. When I look at that that part of the market, and this is, you know, kind of COVID-based as well, our customers are asking us to store more things for longer because things are getting pushed out which is compounding that storage crisis. In fact, we run a number of large-scale uh, project warehouses for a giant retailer that everyone knows from Arkansas. And we're having some issues sourcing additional variable space for them to manage these projects because they're holding projects in warehouses longer longer than they ever had before. It's just, uh, it's based on those current dynamics. So, Wes? So it's worse. Yeah, that's... That's a, I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about earlier on is those that price stickiness and the behavior of people once a price has already been raised. It's rare that we see it go backwards. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, yeah. It, so what we're trying to do, at least with our customer base, and I'm going to encourage a lot of carriers and or 3PLs to look at it this way, is we're trying to advise we're devising pricing mechanisms that just don't work for today, but can work for a sustainable future, including monthly revisits of what current market rates are and looking at adjustments from a contract perspective. But I think you're going to have to get creative. And also, you know, if, if things change in the market, we can put things in the contract that says that we can all win together. So if costs do go down, we can pass some of those cost reductions back to our customers. But you have to get creative. And you also, you know, and you guys know me well enough by now, I'm totally transparent and we are totally transparent with our customers. Like they can see it all. There's nothing behind the curtain that we won't share. And I think that builds the kind of trust in a very difficult environment that A, leads to long-term relationships. That's a fantastic point uh, in terms of transparency. I, I think, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. So we're, we're going through this period of, like everything's kind of out there. Like we all are kind of adjusting constantly. We thought we were going to ease and go back into like life as we planned it. And then all of a sudden the Delta variant shows up. Uh, cases start surging again. Like what are, what are some of the strategies that, you know, people can use from a shipping perspective to kind of mitigate, you know, so much of this uncertainty. So I, like if we go back into some form of a shutdown, which I don't think, a full-on shutdown like we saw last March is feasible for anybody, especially in our society. Uh, but 
there are things like you mentioned, a warehouse shutting down, uh, you know, driver capacity uh, going down again because of, you know, exposures or whatever the reason is. How can shippers kind of mitigate some of this? How do they get around it? Well, I think, first of all, you better start exercising your patience skills because uh, <laughs> uh, patience and Zen thoughts are going to be what <laughs> rules the day. But, but beyond just patience, you know, you need to start to look internally, operationally, at what kind of operational enhancements you can make to further smooth the supply chain. Because if you're providing proper planning and proper lead times, that is going to help predictability. When you shorten those lead times, that leads to volatility. You look at the, the tender rejection index, and although it, it seems to be trending in the right direction, as you guys mentioned earlier in the show, um, these are being rejected as still a pretty pretty good clip, which means you're seeing a lot of volatility still in this market. Yeah, 23% is still, or 22%, I should say, is still extremely high. Uh, we consider it chaotic. <laughs> uh, so yeah. even though it has come down from 28%, 22 and a half percent is not much different. Uh, so it still feels like almost the same exact thing. Is there anything out there um, that you're seeing that, you know, is going to be like a an infrastructural change moving forward? Uh, are, are we seeing shippers change some of their operational practices, their facilities? Are they growing things? Are they changing their sourcing uh, habits to get through this? So I think in some, it, and it really varies by customer, right? Mm -hmm. So we have some customers that have chained, stayed the course with their normal sourcing philosophy, which I think in this environment is dangerous, as we talked about before. Mm -hmm. But some of our customers also reach out and they will consultatively talk to us about what we're seeing in the market and really seek advice. And I'm sure that they take our advice along with others to formally make decisions, but you really should think about that. And I think what's as we've watched true sourcing organizations take more and more control in the Fortune 500 ranks and in large corporations, you, know, you see this force, you have to evaluate everything every two years model, which always doesn't always work really well in a, in a freight or supply chain environment. And I think you need to be a little more cautious than that, at least pay a little more attention to the business and how the business operates. So Again, less. like, like we try, try to negotiate contracts where you can all win together down the road. Wes, you, you were mentioning how yes. you, you dropped autonomous driving also being a thing. And I think you're definitely, I mean, you're all about technology. If you mm -hmm. look on logisticsitan.com, you can see he's all about technology and Absolutely. innovation there. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you're the most excited about moving forward over the next five, 10 years that is really going to be dynamic or really going to change the industry? What's one of the things that Earth Trends that you're seeing is really kind of ramping up that you think is going to be the most impactful? Well, yes, yeah, so I'm a total huge nerd. We've identified <laughs> that now. That's good. Um, but, but I think I, I love to push the boundaries of technology. And so we've worked real hard to apply technology to fix common problems. And I think one of the biggest problems we face is, is the current state of what we'll call common labor people helping unload trucks, place things in, inside of facilities, remove debris and, and provide a full service inside delivery. Those have been difficult. So we've had to apply technology to that solution. We give someone a handheld device that really shows them step by step by step how they do everything and forces them to check off each step as they go to create that you know accountability mechanism. But I think 
like I said before, we, we talked briefly about blockchain and the, the end of logistics lies based on blockchain. Now you can't you can't blame traffic and or weather. You'll be able to see it right then and there what exactly what happened anymore. And, and I think that transparency and that level of transparency of what I'll call collaboration and the ability to collaborate and harmonize the supply chain with that transparency could be very, very helpful. And you couple that with the predictability of a driver autonomous driving. I think that also will be very, very helpful. But but we're also using predictive analytics and artificial intelligence um, to try and help our our clients solve supply chain issues. And I think those will be some of the other things that will really have a play. Yeah, information is... Did that answer your question, Anthony? Thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Yeah, information is obviously extremely crucial uh, throughout this situation. Now, you mentioned win-win negotiation just a minute ago, and this is very, and like, I, I'm, you're the first person that I've actually heard mention this uh, throughout this situation, because like we were talking about with the pendulum, it swings back and forth, and it's always about, you know, a shipper or a carrier or a broker or whatever it is, negotiating and winning. And you just mentioned a win-win scenario, which I think is a relatively new kind of buzzword or topic. But are you actually able to see in this environment a true opportunity for negotiating a win-win with carriers and, and shippers and brokers, intermediaries? So the harsh reality, Zach, is we've had to negotiate a lot of increases with a lot of customers. And we have. And we've done it successfully. But we've also put in place mechanisms where if things shift back, that so will the pricing shift back. And that's that win-win philosophy. We don't, we're, no one's trying to, you know, get rich and retire in Jamaica off a customer, at least not our organization. And we don't view it as a, so in a negotiation for us, we don't view anything as a win-loss type of equation. I think that we view ourselves as our customers' advocates, kind of fighting a battle arm in arm, and we all need to win together. We'd like to do things and do it at a profit so we can be sustainable as an organization. But we're also very sensitive to making sure that we represent a value to our customers so our customers can afford to do business themselves. That's the win-win. Right on. So, yeah, I know in our previous, in my previous life as a pricing person, it was very much like, you know, try to win the freight and then <laughs> move on. But I think I think it's a great topic and that needs absolutely like more people kind of churning through uh you know how to do that for me it's kind of like okay you have a shipper that has freight that needs to move in this direction a carrier may there may be a carrier out there that needs to move in the exact same direction you kind of work out uh your deal that helps both parties effectively in their operation um and and everybody wins and everybody makes money and you can trudge forward and i think anybody that thinks that there's you know one side that's going to, uh, you know, always win in these situations is definitely in a short, you got a short run philosophy going. Um, so Wes, uh, well, I can tell you there've been several, there've been several carriers that we've seen kind of take a very arrogant view yeah. of their current place in the world. And, and they're burning some bridges with some customers that they're never going to be able to repair. It's, it's dangerous. And yeah. I certainly don't ever want to behave that way with our customers. So. Yeah, churn costs uh, so much money. <laughs> uh, you know, turning over customers and winning them back, it costs you so much more to win a customer back uh, than it does to get them the first time. So you might as well hold on to them. Um, is there anything, you know, 
about the next several months that concerns you, that you don't feel like we as an economy are, you know, in transportation supply chain, we're just simply not prepared for. No, I, th I think that what we all opened up with is what we're all not prepared for. We're not uh, prepared for what could happen with COVID next, mm -hmm. which means what could happen with us as people out in the world next. So we just don't know that yet. And so I think that's the only real unknown that I look at from this marketplace mm -hmm. that I can't predict. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, also, another quick question I had, because I've heard two sides of this argument, just talking about the future of transportation, supply chain. Wes mentioned, of course, I think more 3PLs entering the market, and they're going to be here to stay because there's such a need for them. But I'm curious, Wes, I've heard an argument for both sides that digital is going to be all the moves moving forward. But no, I've heard the exact opposite, maybe a hybrid model. So, Wes, I want to know in your perspective, what do you think about the aspects of a digital 3PL or all digital 3PLs? And is that the future or will there always need to be a different aspect to it or maybe even more of a hybrid model? So I will tell you that I went inside of a large scale digital 3PL, hoping to see no people, right? Or fewer people. And I don't, I don't want to mention any names because that's not important at this point in time. But they weren't doing things any differently, frankly, than, than I've seen most freight brokers do this before. And I think digital matching is not the be-all, end-all. And I think that while I think technology can prove it and digital matching will improve it, it's not the be-all, end-all. At the end of the day, I still think relationships matter, carrier relationships matter, and, and I think those people and those relationships will continue to matter. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we've I've had this conversation with numerous people over the past few years. There's so much nuance uh, in terms of dealing with customers, uh, especially on the transportation sourcing side. It's it's not simply just about matching a carrier with uh, you know a shipper at the appropriate rate. Like there's so much more going on there uh, than just simple uh, freight matching. And that's I think that's at the crux of it. Well, Wes. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for your outlook and your points. Uh, where can people find out more about you and uh, Logistics Titan? Uh, it's easy, www.logisticstitans.com. Or just give me a call. I'm on LinkedIn. Everyone can find me. That's where Anthony finds me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Wes, thank you so much. We're going to have to have you on again. Guys, soon. it's always good to hang out with you. Right on, Wes. Okay, sounds good. Great stuff. Thanks, gents. One and only Wes. I mean, I, someone that's been in the, it's always good to have someone that's been, or born in the, in the industry, <laughs> has been an industry vet to get this, these kinds of insights. Yeah, he's in the thick of it. He, yeah. he can feel it, uh, for sure. I can tell. Uh, he's definitely going through it right now. I, I think one of the big takeaways for me from that was the fact that everything's still chaotic. Like, yeah. we talk about it here, because we watch every day. We watch tender rejection rates come down slowly. I mean, extremely slowly. Um, but we are like, we've never had, I mean, think about it. One out of every five loads that a shipper submits gets rejected. <laughs> yeah. Still, this has happened for a year. Can you imagine like the unreliability yeah. <laughs> has never persisted to this level before. And it's got to feel like just complete chaos, uh, on the supply chain side. And we're, we're talking about another demand side surge and all this COVID variants. Like, I, I don't know what you think about 
economic shutdowns and how to how to manage through uh, another outbreak. But what are, let's get the economists. Yeah, I mean, let's, <laughs> we can even go into. I don't know if this will be a good segment for whatonomics, but <laughs> I do have a chart here, and we can talk to some of the things that I think are going to be impactful as we kind of look at what's going on within the overall economy. And so I have non-defense capital goods, new orders, and I have a chart here going over what's going on with it. And so we have, of course, that's going to be non-defense capital goods, new orders, and the blue line. And in the green line, we have our flatbed outbound tender rejection index. And so looking at non-defense capital goods, new orders, essentially it's a big long name that equates to business to business activity. Right. It's and like so, it's like all the big stuff that yeah. people are shipping. Like this is like a huge chunk of money. Exactly. Uh, for transportation because there's so much freight going on. It takes up a ton of capacity. When the businesses are active, it's a big deal. Exactly. <laughs> and so we're looking at just like you said, the businesses. They're mm-hmm. spending its its capital expenditures and its machinery, its goods that it, are going to have to be infrastructure. Infrastructure. Yeah, it's that's that businesses are only going to invest in because they are anticipating it's going to pay off. And so when we are still seeing that there are a lot of new orders being put in, this is telling us that businesses are ex- anticipating the way, and expecting them. The way that I understand it and the mm-hmm. way I kind of think about it Anthony is when business investment is happening, think about it as multiple freight moves from a, if you're on the transportation side. Yeah. And when you're talking, when we're talking about personal goods and consumer goods, that's a lot of times just a single move. You know, it comes in from China and it moves across the ocean and to the, you know, the final fulfillment center. I guess I just described three moves, but, <laughs> you know, and through domestic transportation, it's more about one to two moves, whereas business uh, consumption has multiple, it's that industrial economy, yeah. that manufacturing side. Yeah, and, and so what we're seeing there is that new orders, they dip down. I think also the overall new orders component, it dipped down, I think it was point or 0.1%. Mm-hmm. And so it was a slight edge down. And so that slight edge down isn't indicative of a month to month, just that things are starting to fall off. We were anticipating a, a slight moderation, some right. slower growth of sorts. And so that's exactly what we're seeing. And that's what we saw in the green line, the flatbed outbound tender rejection index ahead of the report that came out. And so the downward movement wasn't too much of a surprise. It's still up on a year over year basis, showing that there is still tons of momentum. And so even as new orders still come in and maybe even start to slow into 2022, the backlogs are still building up. The the narrative here, obviously, is that there's so much left to do. And and the backlogs, since we're talking about multiple parts of the supply chain and the business orders, they're held down by the same constraints as all the other capacity. Exactly. While while they're moving some consumer products into New York, they're they're not moving, you know, semiconductors into, you know, Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or, you know, all these other places where they're manufacturing all these goods. It's, It's... the same capacity is limiting their output. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so when we're looking at that, it's telling us that there is there's so like if, even if everything did shut down, mm-hmm. there's going to be a, an enormous backlog of stuff. So we're looking at the possibilities of the shutdown. This would essentially, of course, stall factories, things like that. This would also push more emphasis on technology and less on people. So more on uh, uh, capital versus labor. So we're going to see more imp- push on capital, more technology and less labor intensive factories and things like that. What we're already kind of seeing, but that's only going to 
push it further a little bit more. And so it's going to take so long. It's going to take a it's long time. It's going to take a long, you can't just build a fa an automated factory no. overnight. <laughs> no, not every, not every warehouse is going to look like Amazon, an Amazon fulfillment facility. So that's going to be, I think, the big and significant push. And so even if we did see a complete shutdown, that's going to build for us some time. And we're going to, I'm anticipating slower growth throughout 2022. We've been in this hyperdrive mode throughout 2021, throughout most of the year, towards the tail end of 2020. This hyperdrive mode, this accelerated trend, isn't quite sustainable. I think when we go into 2022, whatever might have with cases, whether they go up, go down, the fact of the matter is we hit uh, our top speed of source. Right. And so that top speed isn't going to be something that's maintained or really sustainable over a long period of time going into 2022. So when we start to see some of that moderating trend of, of, of manufacturing slowing down, of consumer activity easing a little bit, that's not going to be the thing to just kind of go up in arms about, to worry about. It's going to be okay. Not a return to normalcy. It's just not going to be in hyperdrive. It's not going to be hitting our top speed redlining right. nonstop. So I got to ask you, uh, we, we kind of got the answer from Wes, you know, economic shutdown, not feasible. What would, if we were to go through another massive outbreak, what would another economic shutdown do? So I think that's going to be a big part of, of course, government policy. So yeah. would there be another uh, issuance of stimulus packages, things like that? In print that money. To, what's that? <laughs> just print that money. Just print the money. So <laughs> we have to kind of look at to what kind of happened with all of those because that essentially got us through yeah. this pandemic is looking at those extended jobless, uh, jobless claims benefits that really kind of let consumers or would-be consumers, maybe they still are consumers, but let Americans <laughs> really stay on those unemployment benefits for even longer. We yeah. also saw that um, those housing eviction moratoriums, which I think expire or are about to expire, set to, due to expire soon. Um, when we look at all these programs, those stimulus packages, those were all the things, the components that really got the American people through this pandemic. Now, we're going through those crashes now of inflationary pressures. Of course, demand is high. We're seeing um, savings rates starting to come down. So if we go through another shutdown, is the government going to be in a place to financially support those once more? And so I don't think so. And I don't think it would have to be at the same scale right. because at first it was just like a mass, like everyone stop what you're doing. No one go to work, no one do anything. So I don't think we'll see that same scale of shutdown, even if there were to be one to happen. And if there was one, it's going to be a lot of resistance. It's going to be a state-by-state -state thing. And so looking at it across the board, I don't really see the feasibility of government issuing those types of funds again in the face of the type of inflation that we're seeing at the, at the moment. I think we also saw that that shutdown really was not effective <laughs> uh, in the long run. Uh, one, mitigating the virus, and two, <laughs> uh, you know, Really? I just had Henry Byers send me uh, <laughs> a hilarious picture <laughs> of our federal uh, chair of economics, um, Jerome Powell. Oh, yeah. Just dropping cash. So <laughs> um, that's essentially going to be what we would what it would look like. Yeah. And so I don't think the Federal Reserve is going to be in that position right now. Yeah, I don't think they can do that <laughs> once again, economically or 
Societally, I don't think you can really do that here in China. Maybe uh, they do things. China, that you can do whatever you want and report on whatever you want. And I don't believe anything that comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Let's throw up this chart real quick. <laughs> uh, the the map of the the global map of the COVID cases uh, before we start closing down the show and winding things down. So looking at these little bubbles from Johns Hopkins again. This is a global view. Looking everywhere, uh, you know, that are populated, densely populated areas obviously stick out here. We got the United States, East Coast, Europe, and, you know, Japan. Good Lord, Japan was getting all sorts of love for its ability to mitigate the virus early on. Now it's uh, obviously Tokyo Olympics and all that got a lot of press on that. But China, <laughs> one of the most densely populated countries on the planet, has somehow managed to maintain their dots being smaller than they would be in, say, you know, outlying Montana. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, information is power here. And I think that they're holding on to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not believing anything. <laughs> but I mean, they, they did shut down uh, the port, uh, a few ports uh, here in the last few weeks because of uh, the outbreaks. And that, that guy got the virus from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't just show up on, on him one day and say, hey, here I am, yeah. just picking you out individually, you know. So you're saying China is not a reliable source of information. I don't think I'm breaking any news here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but again, China, if they do continue to, you know, it's probably more of a public uh, outward facing thing than anything that they report these sh and why they shut things down. But a huge impact to our supply chain here in the United States. And we're not going to change it overnight. We're not nearshoring. Companies aren't moving away from them that fast. They can't. <laughs> Infrastructure has to be there. So, you know, I think we solved the world's problems. COVID, uh, it's not going away. <laughs> uh, it's probably not going away anytime soon. We got another winter coming up, but we got peak season and we got all this break coming into the country. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you're not, like, you cannot simply sit back like Wes said yeah. and wait on things to go back to the way they were. Like, if you're doing that, you're, you're, you're getting, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> you're going to have a bad time. It's going to be a bad time, but yeah. talking about good times. Let's talk, let's transition to a good time. I got a fun fact for everybody. Let's hear it. I got a fun fact, and that's going to lead us into our debatonomics and our close. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, first off, fun fact, Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption were released on the same day, October 14th, 1994. If you could transport yourself back to that day and you had one golden ticket to get into one of these movies, what would that movie be? Do we say the movie at the same time? Yes. All right, one, two, three. Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Ah. Wow. <laughs> I mean. This is the first time we've agreed on the I mean, thing. what? I it's, also want to say Shawshank just to, out of spite, but I can't. Can't. I, I mean, I love Shawshank. Don't get me wrong. These are two fantastic movies. Let's not, let's not, All we right, can't let, debate Let's that. end it there. Shawshank isn't that great. <laughs> okay, that's a huge problem for me. Um, it's not that great. <laughs> one Overrated. of the most epic movies. The problem with me, the rewatchability, you've seen it. Yeah. It's, it's, you could watch it again a few years later. Pulp Fiction? I'll watch it I'll turn it on. It, if it's on, I can watch it. Tarantino movies. Yeah. Golden. They're good, rewatchable. Some of the best quotes still quoted today. Yeah. We actually had a quote thing going on uh but yeah so we don't debate because we agreed uh although shawshank, although but we shawshank can debate that underrated. shawshank redemption is overrated it is not under it is not overrated it is overrated it is so, with that ridiculous zach that's going to bring us to the end of our show of course but if you watched and you're and you were on linkedin instead of tv.praves.com check out our tv app 
go to tv.prayers.com. You can watch all of our stuff there. Thank you so much to Envision, our sponsor. Thank you so much to Wes Strubing for coming on and chatting with us. And thank you so much for, for you for tuning in. As always, you can find us here at noon Thursday, every single time, noon Eastern Standard Time. Drink more water. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll I'll see try you to, next uh, episode. I'll try to have my stuff ready next time. What's up? My, sh- my gear, all my, my <laughs> stuff. I'll try to be ready. I'll explain this.